What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Middlecoff! Hey, behaves! Man, there's a lot going on today. We are here. And we're not the only ones. Nick Bosa also uh, made it into the building. You're all here. Tell your friends about the Haberman Middlecoff podcast. Can never stop growing. No, always looking to grow. Guy, you're either growing or you're dying. Only no one ever stays the same. Don't ever forget that. Subscribe, rate, review. Haven't said that in a while on iTunes. Do all that stuff. Always helps. We appreciate your love and support. Someone said subscribe and then unsubscribe and then subscribe again. I don't know if you really get more credit that way, but, you know, why not? Try it. We're out here in the street. I mean, this is just guerrilla warfare. We we are in the the podcast streets. Uh, We're always, you know, I, I get a lot of people... Going, hey, about marketing, can we market on your podcast? I'm like, here are the rates. But if you ever have ideas, you work for companies. I know we have a lot of successful listeners, guy, that uh, meeting with someone, a listener that works at a company. I'm not going to divulge yet because they're not paying for advertising. But if you're interested and you want to reach younger people, if you want to reach 60-year-olds, this ain't the place. You want to go directly to 25 to 40-year-olds, men, that's our demo. We got you, dog. I feel like we even go a little lower than 25. Oh, we definitely, I get a, I get texts from like high school people. Yeah, I get uh, a lot I just, of that too. I just know, a- advertisers, you know, I don't know if they put too much stock in like 18-year-olds. I get a lot of like, middle cough, I'm 19, I kind of want to do what you were doing, help me out. I'm like, God, it's too much pressure, ask your dad. <laughs> it's hard to be a, a internet mentor. Yeah, I mean, we remember being 17, not a lot of disposable income. No. Even up till about thirty, <laughs> you know, you could argue. I mean, still, I, I've never had more money yet. I feel poorer every day. Probably <laughs> didn't help last night. Ultimate lazy move. Oh, you might have been aided by our sponsor that we're about to read for. I was like, I made dinner for myself. Yeah. But then I, I had a little my my friends at ease. I was like, you know what I'm feeding? A milkshake. So I went to Uber Eats and DoorDash and I looked for desserts. For, you know, sometimes they have deals for no delivery fee. Uh-huh. So I found the no delivery fee for a milkshake. It only cost me like eight bucks. Yeah. Uh, and I got a little milkshake delivered. From about where? About nine o'clock at night. Where was it from? 
I, I don't even. It's like called Muya's Burgers and Shakes. It was just somebody it who had a deal. <laughs> Someone that well, they the, the milkshake cost an oil price. It was the deal was just the free delivery charge because I'm like I, I'm not I can't spend fifteen dollars on a milkshake right, delivered right. to my house. It wasn't even honestly the the, the crazy part. It would have been a three five minute drive. It wasn't far. Well, away. I just I but, do think though sometimes it's like you know what, damn it, I'm living in 2019. Like I need to take advantage of the fact that I'm living in 2019. Well, exactly. Like back in the day, I remember growing up, it was like, hey guys, like my mom, if I had a friend over or whatever, you guys want to go get ice cream? We'd have to drive to Baskin Robbins. Do you know what people do now? Hey, you guys want ice cream? We'll get it delivered. You're right. It's a rare occasion. Yeah, but there was a point in time where people couldn't even drive to Baskin Robbins. It was like, well, uh, the the general store is out of ice cream until their next shipment. Like it's 2019. Or, or what about, Just enjoy what about this? My, my horse has a broken hoof. I can't even ride to the store. Ice we cream. just got what we got. What's that? No one's invented that yet. Ice? We got you don't even have ice. Got. Now, I think the thing you need to be careful of, and I've had this happen, is when you do multiple orders in a week, especially if like it's one, you know, if you have friends over or a girl over, or it's not that crazy, but if you do it multiple times for yourself, or even if you have family, it can get expensive because the service charges yeah. are pretty no, high. No, I hear you. I'm just saying like, there was a time you. you used to have to go further to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night than you went to get that milkshake. So you're in 2019, just you know you don't you're not winning any awards for never using uh, the advantages that 2019 has. It's why I never hesitate if there's a movie that I want to watch to order it on demand. I'm like, well, growing up, I, we always went to the video store and paid four dollars for a movie. Why wouldn't I watch? It? I don't even have to move off my couch. Right. Again, the, uh, it has to be a movie that I want to watch. I won't just order random movies. But there's no better feeling. A movie you want to watch, you order. You're like, ah, oh, that was pretty good. I didn't have to move. I just pressed a button. Now I pay for it, but God, Comcast is charging me an arm and a leg. They, we might need to get them as a sponsor just so we get free Comcast. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you proudly by Ease, E-A-Z-E. Ease.com, promo code HAM, and easewellness.com promo code ham I know someone hit me up yesterday they were having a problem with ease wellness I reached out to them this morning they said they're on it the promo code should work easewellness.com promo code ham get your CBD your edibles your your uh, your topicals your bath bombs your doggy treats your Paul Pierce sponsored uh, items a fifth year anniversary they had blowout sales blowout deals Thank go deals, check John. it out Thank ease deals. is rolling Five years in, huge anniversary. There's this big party at the Ease offices. Ease.com also you got your THC, you got your vapes, your pre-rolls, you name it. They are they're one of the most innovative companies in America, guy. And I'm glad to have them a part of what we're doing. Ease.com, easewellness.com. The key is promo code HAM. $20 off your first purchase. Over $50 free delivery. Tell all your friends. Yeah. Just tell everyone. So if you've used it before... The promo code, if you've used the promo code before, we appreciate you supporting. If you haven't used Ease before, uh, use that promo code and, uh, and you know and share it. Share it. We appreciate all your support. We appreciate Ease's support of the podcast. It means a lot. I know. Did you? Uh, I think you followed my little brother's friend, Tyler Raber, who's qualified for the Barracuda as of recording, and he probably only has like three more holes left till he gets cut. But in the at these golf tournaments for players – like, you go on, like, a Tuesday or Wednesday, all the, the Travis Matthews, the Taylor Mays, they all give a bunch of free shit, to, especially players that don't have, like, deals. Yeah. He's like, just scored a bunch of CBD in his locker. 
They got because their CBD companies are there trying to push their product to the golfers. Yeah, it's it's huge in the golf community. <laughs> the CBD brand. That's fantastic. You know, you maybe uh, Nick Bosa needs it to take a little pressure off. Yeah, you know, got that was it bulky knee. He's got the the growing, and uh, he's still growing. Yeah, that's what I heard. Growing, huh? Growing. Yeah, yes. Growing. The faster you say it, the better you say growing. it. Growing. I'm telling you, no one can tell but you, because everyone kind of says it the same way. Nobody growing. else is growing. No, they say growing. That's better. Yeah, that was better. I, the faster you say it, the better you say it. Growing. There you go. See? That's, Bottom line, that's if Bo says another growing, we got major issues, right? <laughs> yeah. He did make, but here's the deal. He's in, John. He's, he is he is signed. I did not think this was going to get done. It got done yesterday. Debo Samuel also signed. Congratulations to the Niners. They knew what they were dealing with. It turns out they were prepared to deal with it in a way that the Chargers were not prepared to deal with it with his brother, Joey Bosa. And so it's a positive reflection of the 49ers, uh, even though being more impressive than the Chargers is not a high bar organizationally. Um, I, I really do commend the Niners. They clearly, in retrospect, knew what they were getting into, were prepared to handle it. Parag, John Lynch, they handled it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably less of a reflection. The Niners are like, yeah, we just did normal business and more of a reflection on Dean Spanos's operation and something a lot of people on Twitter have hit me up. I, I kind of went off on it on the 3 and Out podcast. Like, thank you for just being a fan of the Chargers over the Dean Spanos era. Listen, it's one thing like when Al Davis would get in a position where they didn't have the funds. Like, no one ever like, you know what, Al Davis is cheap. No, he... He'd pay for anyone. If anything, he was just throwing around too much money. But he would get in positions where he just didn't have the cash on hand. Dean has the cash and always refused to pay the players. And always wanted that extra penny in his own savings account. And one thing that I heard yesterday, Guy, why the Bosa thing was so easy for the Niners, yeah. was because, and we've talked about this before, contracts in the Niner, in, in, with the NFL are kind of crazy. <laughs> But it's very antiquated, their system, because back in like the 70s, the union was very apprehensive about like signing these deals because they're like, well, how can I guarantee, you have to guarantee me cash. And so the, the NFL met them in the middle and said, okay, we'll put money into escrow. Like you never hear that about the other two leagues. You do hear it in baseball sometimes. The Max Scherzer also, deal, remember, had some weird. But really that's more of like, we're just taking care of you so you get cash when you're like 40 years old. Or like, if, if you know, so it's just, it wasn't built like an NFL contract. Right. NFL contracts, the moment you sign it, the every penny you've guaranteed that player, whatever you don't give them immediately, like into their bank account, you give to the NFL. So you cut the check. So Dean Spanos, when he signed Joey Bosa, that number is predetermined. He was just unwilling to give it to Joey. And the Niners, from what I heard basically took the approach, why do we give a shit whether we give it to Roger's escrow account or whoever runs the league's escrow account or Joey? It, we're cutting Nick. the check, Nick, no matter what. Think how crazy that is when you really take a step back on Dean. It's really he had crazy, to cut John. the check no matter what. So he didn't want to set precedent for something that really didn't matter if he set that precedent. Didn't matter at all. Because you are, you Other are than I don't rid- think the player deserves I don't want to give him all this money. It'll go to his head. I don't know what the argument would be. but Well, that want, that's an old stiff guy argument, 100%. It, well, it's his money. Are, it's his money either way. But it's like, whether he goes broke or not, that ain't your problem. You're giving him the money. He's your player, and it makes him happy. Because one thing the night one thing I'm the not going to lose. It, it, but it's not it's not even winning or losing. No, I know, but I'm just I'm the being old man, Dean. 
Well, he is a yeah. I mean, I I'm shocked though because I I did runner not, at second base not. and extra innings. That's stupid. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, that is. You're, so so you're <laughs> so you're shocked. You're you're. I I just thought there was going to be a holdout. I, I yeah. thought the Bosa's. It's a reflection of the way Parag does these contracts and the the. I, I think the relationship that they have with agents. When, when's the last time the Niners really had a contract problem? It just doesn't really happen with them. I mean, does you count Robbie Gold? But they fixed it. Oh, okay, yeah, but it was a problem until they fixed it. Well, I mean, it was a problem just because it wasn't a money problem. It was that he just. It was one of the most unique NFL problems I've ever seen. The guy just literally didn't. He wanted to live in Chicago. And the Niners like we're giving you more money than you've ever had in your life. So when you say problem, you mean like uh, what? Like Le'Veon? I, I, I mean, a, I mean a financial issue where the guy thought like they were lowballing him. Like they 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 don't typically get in contract disputes, even when they sucked in the late two thousands. Remember when I mean, Jim Collins showed contract up? was a little weird for a minute there, but it was not when they signed it. No, not at the end. I don't. I guess I'm confused by what how you're defining a problem. I don't think that I, I actually think they were they got that done way early. Like I don't remember Collins' contract being an issue until we we made fun of it because the agents got taken advantage of. But they're always like on the forefront of like their deals get signed. That's all I know. Always get signed early. Basically, they they when's the last time you know you had like a last year player in his contract like like that happens with most teams. They just don't have financial issues. Is yeah, I mean. They, hell, they, Collins, they had the opposite. Collins' contract had, we ripped and made fun of because the contract was so crazy. How little? Yeah, but I thought there was some was. discussion about like when it was going to get done beforehand. But again, if you that's you're right, that's not a problem. I just wasn't sure how you're defining problem. I mean, if anything, they had the opposite, right? Where Alex Smith, maybe Alex Smith's rookie deal took a little time, but it's not like he held out in the end from any he didn't miss any games. Maybe Alex Alex was was not under contract and and was Alex Alex was not under contract and was leading team activities. The in, Harbaugh last year, yeah, I know it's crazy. And we when I was with the Eagles, we were going to try to offer him a bunch of money, but Harbaugh recruited him and made him stay. Andy ended up getting him. But I, one thing I knew, I was not confident with Nick Bosa. There was zero chance on God's green earth that whenever training camp started, that Debo Samuel is not going to be there. Because there's, in the history of the NFL, there's never been a second round holdout. So that's, Debo Samuel is going to be there. Now, clearly I think CAA knew they were just waiting for Nick to sign because they knew it was going to happen. But it makes a little more sense. If Nick hadn't gotten done today, Debo would have been done today. Do you agree with that? Like you just, you can't hold out. As yeah, I pick. would. That's, I think. I think that makes that, that would have been I mean, he was the only be guy that had That'd be unprecedented. Round. Yeah. So, time to roll. You know, I mean, it's pressure's on the big guy. Yeah, you're right. To, I mean, there were either going to be two pressures or one: get signed and then play, or play. And so it's play. Yeah, I mean, I can he live up to the number two overall pick? Because the last time the 49ers drafted a defensive lineman this high, it. Yeah, I was, I was like, well, Buckner, but Solomon came after Buckner. Yeah. You, you got to, you needed to force Buckner. You can't have a Solomon Thomas here. Now, maybe Solomon turns his career around. You you read about the stuff that happened in his life. It's, it really is kind of, you know, 
rips your heart apart. I, I can't even imagine we both all have siblings. Most people listening, I mean, most people on this planet probably have siblings. It's just, it's hard to, it's tough. So I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on last year a little bit that shit, his life was nuts. But I think from the jump, where I'm hard on Solomon, is not the person, not the character, none of that stuff. I don't think he has the physical attributes. Buckner did. I, that's one of the things I question with Bosa. Like, see Dustin Fox tweeting this morning. The best part about this training camp starting guy is no more the fluff NFL topics that are kind of like NBA topics. Like, I, I don't care what Odell is wearing and some. Just, I just tell me about the get-offs and the plays and the give me Odell clips of him making plays. Miles Garrett, I guess, looks incredible. Of course he does. I mean, he's a freak. Is he had freak attributes? Even Clowney had freak attributes. Khalil had freak attributes. Von Miller had freak attributes. I don't know if Bosa has them, but you can't... The pressure on both those two guys. A little less on Solomon, because I think most people acknowledge he's not that good. So he almost gets to fly under the radar. But that's not the case with Bosa. Like he, To me, he can't have a three-sack season. It just, just That can't happen. He's got to be... He's got to be a menace. Last year, Bradley Chubb had 12 sacks. I don't need 12, but you got to have seven or eight, and you go, God, this Nick Bosa guy is going to be a 10-year good player. I don't even need to say, like, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But you better be when the season ends. This guy looks like a really good NFL defensive end. Because that's what we knew about Joey Bosa about four games into his career. Like, holy shit, they got something. (laughs) Yeah, I think the interesting part for me is when you talk about a guy's athleticism, physical traits, all that, if he doesn't possess the physical traits that you think immediately make him a freak, then to me there's more pressure on the people that drafted him. Like a guy that has all of the tools, there's almost a little more pressure on the individual. Like we know it's in you if you have the ability, if you work hard enough, if you have the smart. Like that one's on you. Like you are in the rare category of the gifts. If a guy doesn't have the gifts, then it's more about like, okay, the people that drafted him, you're saying you're seeing what we don't all see. So let's say, and I should say, I mean, obviously people like Nick Bosa, but let's see. You think it's going to translate and it's worth getting him at number two to make it translate. Let's see. I think there's just as much pressure on John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan as there is on Espe- Nick. When you as say opposed to if Nick was Miles Garrett, good. right? Like if he was Miles Garrett, be like, yeah, <clears throat> that. I mean, he's got everything. <clears throat> let's see if he can put it together. Well, what what about the pressure of – what if Bosa's not that great and Quinn Williams rookie of the year with nine sacks and just looks like Warren Sapp? Right. You know, and that's well, they need an edge rusher. Yeah, they just need a defense. They need pass rush. So I, 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 no one gave a shit really where it came from, especially once you trade for D Ford. I'll say this though, like the, the the comment I consistently heard from people that like, you know, I don't love his traits. They were like, he has an innate ability. It's just a. He was born with it. And this is what they say about both Bosa brothers, just to rush the passer. It's like, okay, he might not be the big, biggest physical freak. It's like, you know what? Greg Maddox didn't throw like Randy Johnson, but he could just fucking dominate. And that's what pro Bosa people would say, would just be like, throw on the tape, he gets to the quarterback. So I'm like, okay, I, I'll live with that. Yeah. If that's, if, if you're just, great, you're, you're expecting him to be Greg Maddox. I'm not, I don't mean he's going to be Greg Maddox, but my point is that's the way he's described. You know, he doesn't he's not the best looking guy. He doesn't he's not gonna perform the fastest in the drills, but when the pads are on and they're playing a game, he will find a way around the offensive tackle. I'm, okay, I'll even take a step back. I, I'm rooting for this guy. Like the one thing I'll do 
If I don't like a guy out of college, and I was like this a little less in the NFL because you would take shit for it inside your building. But now that when you're in the media, it's so easy to be a to be a draft analyst because if you miss, you're like, whatever, on to the next one. Right. Uh, in the NFL, like John Lynch will take a lot of shit if he misses. So it's like, yeah, the, the all I love draft analysts like I'm always open with what I missed on. Yeah, no one even cares. But I'm plus really on the Twitter, you get so much credit for admitting you were wrong. It's like, look at the what? A, like you're almost better off being wrong and admitting it than being right about something that everyone else is right. Look about. at the humility. In Middlecoff saying he missed on McCaffrey. I got to say, I did not see Giannis coming. I have to admit it. I whiffed on that one. Okay, cool. Yeah, You and Danny I mean, well, Ames, so congratulations. Missing on him is a – hey, Danny, that, I mean, that's cost your franchise a big time. So but it's again, it's not the guy went three. Yeah, it's a, it's a big mess. But the guy didn't go number three in the draft, right? But, but my thing but, – but I'll just yeah. – in the media, Sorry. like even if I don't like you, like I hope Lamar ja- – especially when the guy's a good kid. Like I want Lamar Jackson or Teddy Bridgewater to succeed. Like I said, I would not draft Christian McCaffrey in the top 10. I realized quickly the game changed fast. I was wrong. I'm rooting for Christian McCaffrey to be a Hall of Famer. I want even Solomon Thomas. I never would have touched him that high that I hope he's good. But even Nick Bosa, like I hope he's a really good player. I'm just, I'm hesitant. Like you just saw Buckner and you watched Buckner. I knew it was going to be impossible for Buckner to fail. And the more reading I've done on Chris Ballard, I think Chris Ballard's mindset with the draft, especially the first round, he is not Mr. Swinging for the fucking fence guy. He really is trying at the, his draft philosophy limits his ability. At worst, he has like he's got to run out a double. Now maybe he gets a triple, but he is not trying to hit home runs. But you know what he's going to be? He's going to hit forty-five doubles every year and bat two ninety. And he's, he and, might be. And, and a by fl- the way. That doesn't mean you never hit home runs, right? Well, exact. Do you know what he looked at like when he when he drafted Quentin Nelson again? Where I said, you know what, <laughs> I'd rather go with Roquan. He's like, well, one hundred percent, Quentin Nelson ain't gonna fail. Now, is he gonna be the next Larry Allen? More than likely not, but there's a chance. But at worst case scenario, I got a ten year starter at guard, and he did that at six. And I was like, God, I don't like it. Now it makes sense to me, and just his draft philosophy. And he's a guy now, for example, that drafts a lot in the 20s. Like, their team's going to be good for years. That philosophy, uh, to me, tr- you know, when they say, like, you know, manners always travel. Wherever you go, treating people well. Like, that philosophy in the draft always travels the better you are. When you just, I'm just trying to hit doubles. I'm not overthinking it. You're going to hit more in the 20s. It's a little more complicated in the top 10 because there is pressure on you to try to hit home runs. But you won't ever take that much shit if you just, like, you know, every guy Chris Ballard's ever drafted in the first round are still on the team. Like people, you'll get applauded for that. And I think the Niners, I, you know, now Quinn and Williams, you you could argue. I mean, it, you it's just a fact. Was a one year wonder. There's still questions marks on him. So it's not like he was just some can't miss four year starter like a Khalil Mack, or even like a Clowney, like who'd been an elite player from day one that he got there. He literally had one year starting and he dominated. So there is. There's a question mark on him, too. You you could argue there's way more information on Nick. Because Nick, once Joey left, got to Ohio State, started from day one. But he had to wait in training camp because he had a torn ACL. But as a true freshman, he started playing once the ACL healed. And then he dominated until he got hurt again. Uh, so I most people that I trust in the NFL, I mean, the only people I talk to are people I trust, I guess. Like you always say, like, yeah, of course. Those Why are, are you talking to people, people you don't trust? That think he's gonna be at worst. Like they argue he's gonna his floor is 
higher than the way I look at it. Yeah. But I think we're the difference is there is pressure on this team. This is not year one of this administration. There is pressure on this team, and there's pressure on this guy. Like to me, Solomon Thomas is pressure because everyone kind of just waved the white flag on him is now all on Nick's plate. Do you agree with that? Uh, not not I guess not all of it, but like eighty percent of it, just because I think most people just think Solomon's just not great. Yeah, not ever going to be yeah. very good. And I, but this is where I, I you know I say with Solomon, if all these other guys around him hit, he doesn't have to be great. He just if he's just good in the end, right? In the end, if he's solid enough that he's you want him on your team and he's playing a bunch of snaps, that can be okay. But this is where I will agree with what you just said. That's predicated in part on Nick Bosa being really good. Like the more picks that miss for John Lynch, the more he'll get crap for Solomon Thomas. Well, part of the reason that they were in this position this year was that when Solomon Thomas is a quote-unquote bust, is just not a very good player, they have to double down, right? If Solomon Thomas had been Khalil Mack, let's just say, like he had been that level, do they trade for D. Ford and draft Nick Bosa? Probably not, right? They right. allocate their right. resources right. in, in yep. other, el- That's in other areas. That's what really hurts. Maybe they go, if we're a receiver away, maybe they do this. If they're a receiver away, we got Solomon Thomas equals Khalil Mack. And let's say we trade it for D Ford. Maybe they go, you know what? Fuck it. Here's the number two pick for Odell Beckham straight up. That's the deal. Right? Maybe that happens. Yeah. I'm not saying it does for sure. But if you have Khalil Mack, if you went, God, you know what the Niners have? They have Khalil Mack 2.0. They got DeForest Buckner and they got D Ford. What are they missing, guy? They're missing a receiver. Who would? It, who else are they going to draft? You could draft another defensive lineman. No one would. But would you rather have Quinn and Williams for the next five years or Odell Beckham Jr. under contract too? Don't you think they would have been more likely to maybe think about it? Because clearly they were. That was never an option for them, is what we found right. out, right? They just the two was off the table. I think the two would have been on the table if Solomon Thomas had been a not even just he would have to have been a home run. Because if you would have had Khalil Mack, DeForest Buckner, and again, he's the opposite of Khalil Mack. So they've, they had to kind of chase their losses. Right. And I, John Lynch talked about this in the offseason with Quan Alexander. Part of missing on a high pick, like Reuben Foster, is a double whammy. You trade up, so your pick 31 then becomes nothing because that guy's not on your team anymore. And then you have to chase it. you got to go get Quan Alexander. So you got to pay him money. So it's a double whammy. Like, if, if Nikhil Harry misses for the Patriots in a couple years, they'll have wasted a first-round pick on him, and then they'll have to go find a receiver. At the so expense that's, that's of plugging where, another hole. Right. While spending money. Yeah. Or using draft capital to get that guy. But when you have, like, that's where the Browns were like, you know, we think we're kind of one piece away here. Take our first-round pick. Hell, take our Jabril Peppers. They didn't even hesitate. But when it's the number two overall pick, I get it. But, man, you see some of those clips on Odell? He looks pretty sweet. Oh, my God. We'll get to that. I, yes. Um, and, you know, part all the stuff we're talking about with Nick and the draft kind of feeds into the article that Tyler Dunn wrote um, for Bleach Report. Because really quick, the, uh, just uh, before we dive into Bleach Report, I think the Raiders are a good example. They got rid of Khalil Mack. And I think in the back of their mind last draft, they kind of knew, like, Khalil Mack's at the money he wants is not going to be on this team long term. Whether we trade him right now or trade him a little later, he's not going to be on this team. 
They've drafted Arden Key in the second, or PJ Hall in the second round, Arden Key in the third round, and this year Cleveland Farrell at four overall. So they've chased Khalil Mack with about three players so far. And they still, you would say, would it one team in the league take those three guys or Khalil Mack? Khalil Mack. <laughs> now there's more to it. And people, middle cough, that's context, that's not exactly the way. I get it. I, my point is, though, when you get rid of a guy, you you have to fill that. Like when I trade, like the Warriors lost Kevin Durant. They have to fill that fucking hole of those 30 points somehow. And most times, gonna with a guy of that caliber, it's going to be multiple players. Well, then, if you're multiple players, if you miss on the multiple players, it's a double whammy. You lost your sweet player, you added the two players, and then they both suck too. So that's the the puzzle pieces here on the on the Solomon Thomas, the ramifications of it all are big. And I actually tweeted this morning because I noticed Dustin Fox tweeting about Miles Garrett. Don't ever forget that win that Chip Kelly had. I googled it, December twenty fourth. Against the L.A. Rams. They might have been the St. Louis Rams still at that time. Maybe they were the L.A. Rams. Cost them Miles Garrett, guy. Cost them Miles Garrett. Because yeah, that was a no-brainer first pick that year. And then as a Cleveland Browns fan said, thank God, because he has been the key to our building blocks. I'm like, yes, he has. That was the first, like, okay, we got something. We'll, this is We're starting from scratch with this guy. Then we'll figure it out. Uh, okay, so I think that was a good, a good follow-up there. So now to Tyler Dunn. And we watched the 49ers press conference on Friday. Uh, as we're recording this on Friday, we watched the press conference earlier of John Lynch and uh, Kyle Shanahan address what was the article from Tyler. And then it also, they kind of, in a roundabout way, addressed the article from, um, uh, uh, what's Matt, Matt Miller. Matt Miller, thank you. I almost said Matt Moore. From Bleacher Report as well, citing a former 49ers scout, um, as probably I would say, is it fair to say the main source um, describing the discontent and the disenfranchised feeling among what he described as Niner scouts that feel like their opinions aren't valued in the building um, and that Kyle and John ignore them, don't care what they have to say. They just make they just pick who they want to pick. Um, a couple things. I, I thought it was interesting that one thing, John, they, they address the things. I think one thing great with Kyle is he'll always, you can ask him this stuff and he just addresses it. It's pretty can't like he's not beating around the bush. No. And, like, did you did you see Belichick's rant on every year's different? No. Well, he used the word different. Like he just he doesn't give you anything. He's the he's the polar opposite to me of Kyle. Like Kyle, what's Jimmy's status? Kyle then will just tell you he's good to go, or he's healthy, or he's fifty percent. Yeah. Like Bill, Bill will just look at you like, uh, yeah, I said it. You know. Uh. So what did you think? I, obviously. Uh. Now we had the, the article had been out for a day or two, but hearing Kyle and John talk, I thought it was interesting. First of all, they both were adamant that they uh, that everything's good there, um, and they both John made the point and Kyle made the point. Hey, ultimately, like the way this building is structured, we make the decisions, so we're not going to apologize if anybody's feeling is hurt. But I love Kyle when he said, I- "I've been in a lot of buildings. I'm pretty proud of how few leaks we've had." In the three years, I think uh, I think there was an issue with leaks before we got here. <laughs> I maybe he didn't quite say it that way. He said they had a few more before we got here, something like that. So, and I do agree with that. I do think they've done a good job with that. Yeah, safe to say uh, he's right on that. They they had a few leaks. From what I've heard, it's one individual. I wish I knew who it was because I would have no problem outing them. And the Niners know who it is, and I. 
from the sound of it, I don't think it's Balky. Like I think it's one of Balky's like lieutenants. That's he might be on another team. Maybe he's out of the league. I don't know. I, I wish I knew who it was, but clearly bad mouthing these guys. And I think there's some bitterness of these guys are getting a pass. It's so shitty, and everyone loves them. And John Lynch is just a walking TED talk, and everyone's jerking off Kyle, and they suck. That's that's what it feels like. We got so much heat. Well, hey guys. Like the Balky administration, the reason you got so much heat is because you got fucking rid of Jim. Like that's where it all stemmed from. You got rid of Jim Harbaugh, so everyone was out to get Balky. These guys starting from fresh, like yeah, it's just it's different right now. But don't ever think because we've seen it over and over and over again. Like their love for Kyle and John is not set in perpetuity. You don't have this forever. If they have another four and twelve season, it'll be like it'll be over. I mean, the honeymoon, you could argue it, it's ending right now. Like, it is officially over starting this training camp. But one thing we know for a fact is people ain't blowing them anymore if they suck this year. Now, well, they will get, like, do they have to make the playoffs? Probably not. For me, they do. But if they went 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, I think people, that would mean they were in a lot of big games unless they were, like, 4-8 and eight and they won their last four. That, that would be shitty. Right. Or if they were 8-4 and four and they lost their last four. There's a context to everything. Yep. But if they were just 500 battling along and, you know, like on Christmas or whenever that second to last week, they were basically a playoff game. If they win this, they're going to hold their own destiny to get into a wild card game. I think people would be pretty fired up, right? But it's like, I, 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 I the bitterness for guys, and I do understand where scouts, and the, Kyle kind of said it perfectly. Anytime you're a lower-level guy in a football administration, and he used being a quality control guy, and I could say this for just being a pro scout, you work these long goddamn days, you put all this effort in, and you feel like no one's listening to you. And it pisses people off. It pisses me off. Because you're like, everyone's calling us idiots. I was on the right guy. I'm making set. I wasn't making 70. I was making 48 or whatever. And you're like, no one's listening to me. And the guy making $8 million dollars is getting it wrong, but we we could have got it right because internally we had it right. And how many quality control coaches or quarterback coaches all around the country in the NFL, college, or even high school are thinking that? So Kyle's like, I understand it because he had been a lower-level coach. Now Kyle jumped pretty fast, but like I, I don't think that's necessarily a normal scouts disagreeing like with who they pick. Like I did not want this player. Yeah, like that's. That, to me, happens everywhere. You don't think... That happens in New England. Just, you would never... The difference is, I would say, in New England, is no one has the fucking stones to ever let that leak out because they will find you and you'll be gone. Like, it happens at most other franchises, right? I would say the one place that it consistently has not happened, any disconnect for any assistant coach or scout in New England. But, people in the business go, yeah, all the scouts in New England are miserable. Here, here... (laughs) Here is the uh, here's an excerpt, John, from uh, Ty Dunn's article. Lynch is a walking TED talk, but these 49ers could always free fall in the other direction, regardless of whether there's friction between Lynch and Shanahan. No one can deny three years worth of questionable moves. And through it all, the former staffer says the current scouting staff is feeling increasingly marginalized, where Lynch sees synergy, others see imbalance. With Shanahan wielding so much control, coaches are far, far more empowered on draft day. As the staffer put it, it's literally the scouts' jobs to study prospects two years at a time. So to, quote, see your work not valued as highly is demoralizing. Voices are being heard, 
it's just not the right voices. And then he goes through like the Solomon Thomas, the Joe Williams, the C.J. Beathard. These were uh, Akello Witherspoon, Kadavius Street. He now, and to his credit, he later says, "Hey, but there's also George Kittle, right? There's also Fred Warner. There's also Mike McGlinchey. Like it's not like every pick. I mean, they have they've whiffed the Reuben Foster. Obviously, they, the guy was mad that." They brought Ruben in to like like John Lynch let Ruben come in and watch some film one time or be in a discussion. That bugged him. But that guy's like, "This is not normal protocol." Yeah, man, it's not that big of a deal. That's what I thought too. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the one thing Kyle hit on is anytime there's change, people get uncomfortable. And remember when Gruden showed up, people were pissed, all the scouts, and then he eventually kicked them all out of the meeting. Now. If you look at their staff, they kept a lot of hold. Like a lot of people made it and survived. But yeah, the, part of the reason I think these coaches and even a new GM go, I was brought here because you guys were fucking it up. And this is where I think the scouts get pissed. I wasn't fucking it up. I was on the right guys. No one was listening to me. That's that's the story of John Middlecoff's scouting career. Like, Chip, you're a fucking moron. Who are you drafting? And you know what? I've been proven right. Uh, luckily, I was able to find a new career thanks to Haberman. But I, I, I do feel for scouts, or a little less quality control guys, because they make pretty. But there are a lot of scouts in the league, you know, probably under 35 years old, not working long-ass hours for little pay relative to, like, the people they're working with. Like, it's not often. Like, when I was in Philly, think about this. The, really, the two people I answered to, immediate answer to, like, I was, like, they're basically their secretary I guess different than a secretary. I mean, they had secretaries, but like their right hand guy to do little projects and stuff. One guy's making one point five million, and the head coach is making like eight. That's most. If you just walk into like Wells Fargo, or whatever, I'm the you know the youngest guy on the staff at Wells Fargo. The person I'm answering to is probably middle management or something, right? It's a guy making a couple hundred grand, but it's not quote unquote like the CEO of the operation, right? Like I answered to Howie and I answered to Andy. Where if you go into the Kyle's, if you work for the Niners. You answer to Kyle and John. So it's just the dynamics of money, to me, play a big role in football bitterness. That and you know, the other part in that article, right, John, was they're just the the John Lynch, John Elway, like the fact that those guys got to become GMs when everyone else has been grinding for a career, That bot, that's just like a fundamental thing didn't, that bothers some people. Didn't he quote one guy that said, like, I've been doing all this. We've been working 15 years, and John Lynch gets the job, and I don't. And I'm like, yeah, two things. He said, it's hard to I, see some guy walk right in and take that job that I've been working a decade and a half for. It's like, well, what's the point? That was the point. On one hand, you understand where the guy's coming sure. from, right? Like, I, I, I get it. And on the other hand, you go, well, that's a pretty unique situation. Like, it's not like John Lynch. This isn't like Farhan Zaidi, the equivalent of a guy just working like on the stock trader. The owner thinks he's good at analytics or something, hires John Lynch. I mean, John Lynch is a borderline Hall of Famer, Stanford guy, a football guy, who also had sneaky kind of been training for it, right, with John Elway. Now, does he should he become the GM immediately? But at the end of the day, John Lynch more than likely is not going to be a roving pro scout. He's just going to start higher than most. Like, welcome to life. And for the most part, I and I told you this when I was scouting, and I feel this even more now, I, I, I'd hi, the first people I'd hire are Stanford people. You meet them, they're just higher level. And you've been around them now, you're like, you even come, you came around, right? 
Mostly, yeah. There are some that I'm like, uh, it's a little extra. It's a little strong. I, I, I I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. You're gonna hit on everyone. I'm just saying if every person you ever hired, when Haberman Middlecoff or a 200 person employee uh, based podcast business, if our 200 employees were all uh, graduates of Stanford University, wouldn't you say we'd probably be in pretty good shape? Um, the numbers, you'd have a couple bad apples and people that don't live up, but more than likely we'd hit a couple home runs. Yeah. That if all my employees were Cal Poly based, they just want to, they just want to know when the happy hour was and when it was time to party. That I, I get it. I, I feel there's more, the bitterness is less about the time put in and it's more like John Lynch is making $4 million and I'm grinding and I'm making, let's even say I'm making a hundred, but I, I feel like I'm looking at my evals. I'm looking at his evals. I just know more. I say there's more to the job. John Lynch was John. The Niners are paying John Lynch for like probably three of that four million dollars. They feel good about is the PR, which they desperately needed at the time of his hire, because at their operation, yeah, like he's not being pay- like Kyle is actually the one being paid to pick the play. Like truly, John's role involves exact being the face of the franchise to a degree. I was on with our buddy Greg Papa and John Lynch. I was texting with Papa the other John day. Lund. I said. Yeah, John Lund. We're going to have Pop on the podcast. I said, we will meet him in Danville, have a live podcast while we have some cocktails. Mm-hmm. His choosing of any bar in Danville. Mm-hmm. Just as we get ready for the night, he said he's in. Great. And uh, he was asking like what I thought if the league had become more coach-centric in terms of picking the players than it had GM-centric. Because I'd say historically, for the most part, it was the GMs pick the players, coaches coach the team, right? And I think, like I said, yeah. I mean, the the major change in the league, I think, the last 10 years has been the amount of money coaches make. So who usually has the most power? The guy who makes the most goddamn money. Because you're like, yeah, I'm going to listen to this guy. I'm paying him $7.5 million. Even if I have a GM like Joe Douglas, who the Jets fired their GM knowing they only wanted Joe Douglas. And then Joe Douglas kind of was like, yeah, I'm a little unsure. He had him by the balls. Yeah. You know he ended up getting like $3.6 million a year? He's one of the highest paid GMs. One of the reasons he got so much money is because what were they going to do? Not hire Joe Douglas? Like he knew they had to hire him. And he got a six-year deal. But even in that contract, which is pretty crazy for a first-time GM to get that, it's just that's just a lot of money for a GM in general historically in the NFL. He's probably a top five paid GM right now. He still makes less than Adam Gase. You know, that's just... The nature of the economics of the league. Coaches make more. Our buddy Tannenbaum, who's making big cash with the Dolphins, was probably making three or four million dollars working for for Ross. He still made less than Adam Gase. Like the coaches always the head coach is always gonna be the guy, for the most part, making the most money in the building when it in terms of your GM, your coach, and all everyone under their umbrella. Now there are gonna be some people like your I mean, you might have a couple coordinators. There are some teams, guy, that their coordinators make more than their general manager. Think about that. No. So when you're arguing in a in a draft room, like we want this guy on offense, if the owner's sitting there, just just showed up at draft meetings for shits and giggles because he got nothing else to do. Who, don't you think his mind might be like, I kind of like my offensive coordinator. I'm paying him all this money because they're just business people. They just look at the sheet. So usually you listen to. It's easy to be like, you know what, in our offices, we let everyone talk. We let every idea flow, which is true, and I think healthy organizations do that. But it's, when you and I did a radio show, 
at the end of the day, we were going to lean with a topic that me and you were picking over the producer or over a board op if someone like threw us a topic. Now we kind of have a monopoly on the topics because <laughs> it's just me and you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I... I I, well, I can I see where scouts get really bitter with like every dynamic with coaches. Different. That's the summary. The what? Every dynamic is different. Just because something is the way it works most places doesn't mean. And it's not. Like, by the way, it's not like John Lynch is getting like some disproportionate credit. Like he's gotten a lot of flack for the picks they've missed I, on. I think the thing that makes people more bitter in an NFL office is less really about John Lynch because I would imagine. I know a couple of scouts of the Niners and never even ask them about this because I just assume they really like them. They all get along. I think it, I think where it hurts you, I love coach Reed, but there were times when I just couldn't disagree more with the player we signed than the player we could have signed. I think it's more with scouts and coaches where these guys go, I'm a fucking, I know what I'm looking at. I'm good at this. And the coach is picking these guys. And then we suck on Sunday and we're just getting, and we didn't need to do this. Because some of the examples in there I did think have some validity. Like, we went through our draft process. Joe Williams was off the board. And then remember what happened? Kyle was like, God, I kind of like this guy. And Bobby Turner was like, God, I kind of like this guy. And they put him back on the board. Well, what happened? Now, I, I'm not losing that much sleep over a fourth-round pick, but that that's a bad process. You know the healthiest thing I, I've heard that the best teams of my friends that work for do? And we didn't do this when I was there in Philly, and they do now. That in Philly, we never locked our grades in. So once the off season would start, yeah. the game started, you know, a guy could go from like a third rounder to a first rounder fast, or vice versa. That's like the AJ Jenkins type. Wait, 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 like, wait. you're I- saying after you've already drafted him? No. So after the after the college football season, by about right before you go to the Senior Bowl, your final grade on the player is in. So before the process starts of Senior Bowl combine, if you think that guy's a second round player or a starter or whatever, however your grading system works. It's set in stone. Now, you can write a new report based on the off-season information, but that isn't your draft grade. So you don't get in positions where a Joe Williams, you're like, we have this guy off the board. You don't then put him back on the board. Like, that's impossible in a lot of systems. Gotcha. Because, like, listen, everyone's told us this guy quit. He's not worth it. If you want a but Kyle, if you really want him as an undrafted free agent, we'll pay him the most signing bonus we possibly can. We'll do something like that. But we are not using a draft pick on a player that with all of our information as a scouting department, we spent our entire year on the road, beating the bushes, talking to coaches while you were in here getting ready for Aaron Donald. We know this guy like the back of our hand. And just because you like a couple of his clips on the team or on uh, the seventh week against Arizona, now you want him? No. And that's how stuff like that doesn't happen. So maybe, and I would imagine the Niners, like we've really honed in our process but that's the that's the type of process where coaches get involved, where you have major mistakes. And again, you'd be like, middle cop, you're just pro scout. Well, yeah, I, I am because I, I think the good operations don't let the coaches override them. And I'm Belichick's an outlier. He just runs the entire operation. Because the, the I I think the Joe Williams, which was used in that article, right. is a very good example. Is a good example. Yeah, yeah, of something that should not happen, and it did. Um. Like, I can live with the Solomon Thomas. Like, who else, Who were they going to pick? Yeah, you're saying just because, like, the scouts did the work that there's no way for the coach to know. Like, getting on the phone with the player should not trump a year's worth of scouting that the scouts didn't say, this guy, we don't want this guy on our team. Well, I'd go Kyle. 
what do you think Joe Williams is going to tell you when you call him the morning of the third day of the draft? We're thinking about picking you. You're going to, you, you think he's going to be like, you know what? I can tell you I'm going to turn around my life, but more than likely, guys like me, we're never going to turn around. Or is he going to, or is he going to tell you the complete opposite? Right. The what every kid tells their parents when they get in trouble. Mom, I'm well, there it you, is again. You, I'll be good. You know what that really is? Is like Kyle. He, he was gonna. He wanted to draft him, and he he just wanted Joe to tell him what he wanted to hear, right? But I'd even say, listen, Kyle, you love this guy. We'll use one of our seventh round flyers. No one else on is taking if him. You, if you really like this guy, but he's probably off ninety percent of the boards. This isn't one of those. Well, the Chip Kellys of the world don't like this. This is this guy quit in the middle of the season. Wouldn't you say even the most open minded coaches? And he wasn't like some super, like he wasn't the honey badger. This guy quit in the middle of the season. I, I would imagine there's a decent chance he was off every board guy. There are certain instances in the NFL that just get you off boards. Like Joe Mixon, remember there were articles like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was off every board in the NFL. Yeah. Now he's the, he's a different cat because he was so good. He might he there might he might have been on five or six well, like, or just pure talent. Yeah, this isn't the same thing, but I know from before that draft, from when the draft happened, talking to an NBA scout that um, Kevon Looney was off a lot a lot of NBA boards because of his hip injury. Oops, that happens a lot with injuries for sure. Because once you go to the combine and everyone gets your information, and every team touches Kevon Looney or every team touches a running back, he has a degenerate knee or hip. It just, and I, I think with the loonies and the and the guys like that, where you talk yourself back into it, you go, listen, I love this guy's character. I love this guy's talent. Okay, we won't take him in the first round, but we'll, in the NFL, you'd be like, well, let's take this guy in the fifth or sixth. Like a Jay Ajayi, because when he went to the combine, it got out like he has a degenerate knee injury. And what happened? His career is basically over right now because his knee screwed. I saw Schefter try to throw him a bone yesterday. They're like, Sources say that Jay Ajayi, his knee has been completely cleared. My like, okay. Uh, what did you? What What about the Kyle? I, like to me, the Kyle John relationship is a non-story. Complete. Like that's. I do buy that they get along fine. Do you? Yes. But and I think John said this well. Maybe in the article, or maybe someone texted me, and just I mean, it's just common knowledge. You win, it goes away, right? Right. You win, no one can say shit. Because again, guy, people in the NFL will tell you their friends on the Patriots are miserable. <laughs> are miserable. Now, what's not miserable is winning, but the scouting department's underpaid. They don't subscribe to any of these scouting notebooks, so they got to do a way more work than the rest of the league that gets all this information. Now, I've heard Belichick steals it somehow, but it's just... You've never read an article because it. Well, Alabama's. You, you wouldn't same. be able to take it seriously. The pro scouting department for New England is miserable. Most people would be like, "Of course, it's probably not fun to work for Belichick." I mean, it's like you can't even say that. Alabama's the same deal for Saban. How he treats players? No, no, no. Or, I mean, coaches, coaches are just like so. Ha- oh, I had to get out of there. Like, okay, well, I hope you got what you needed because while you were there, you guys were winning. And do you know what I think Saban would say? Every single one of them gets what they need. Yeah. Well, that's what, yeah, they all get hired. They'll get promoted by and large. And they get a head job. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a few, like, um, what's the guy's name? Tosh Lupoy, right? Who got demoted as the DC, as the D-line coach in Cleveland. Uh, let's check in with Tosh in uh, six months and see if he's happy he did it. I bet he is. So that's fine. Tell, but- me, tell me what happened. With, oh, you're saying the Tosh left out. Do you know what I've always heard about Nick, though? That's a good example. Did you see Nick made some comments? For the most part, By the way, part, I've, you heard, noticed, I've heard I mean, Tosh is very happy with his decision. You were a Pac-12 guy. Yeah. Or, I mean, you were at the Pac-12 media guy a day. And I think most media days, for the most part, coaches are upbeat, you know, getting ready for the season. I was watching Yam, hat they had on Chris Peterson. Mm-hmm. And he was just in a really good yeah. mood. Do you talk to him? Yeah, and, and I asked him some questions that I thought he might dismiss, and he was really direct. Yeah, just most of these guys were in really good moods. The one negative thing I saw, it just shows you the standard the Tiger, or I mean, I said Tiger, he's on the... I just saw that too. <laughs> uh, that Saban has is, because they got blown out in the national championship, he's like, you know, we had a lot of coaches that kind of one foot out the door mentality. Right. Was Tosh gone last year or he just left this well, year? Well, he was. He got demoted from D.C. before they reached the postseason. I'm not sure if he was actually still in the building by the time. I don't know that. I don't know the answer. So the one thing I've heard with Nick, he ain't going to fire you because that's a blemish on his resume. He hired the wrong guy. He calls Jimmy Sexton and he said, he did this with Lane, even though you're dead to him and you're not welcome back on the staff and he's replacing you, you get another job because he will not take that blemish. That's what I appreciate about the greatness of Saban. I am not firing Tosh Lupoy. So Tosh telling everyone, Tosh was not welcome back. Like they were moving on, and it's happened with countless coaches. Yeah, but that not, one, like that one, was clear. I think even to everybody on the outside. Like you're saying, there are ones where somebody gets a promotion to another job that is better on paper, and everyone applauds it, and it's like Nick got him the job. But I'd even, because, I'd even argue that like because you're saying Nick will get you a job because he'll get you a better job because he doesn't want you around. Like that's rare. Yeah, but but I'd even, I'd even say that Tosh, it's not that unnormal to leave as a defensive coordinator. To go be a D line coach because D line coach may pay seven hundred grand. Like it's not that crazy. I hear what you're saying, but like I but, think but, Lane's yeah, a good what example. I, what I'm saying though is he had been. I guess it's like Lane though. He'd been demoted before the season was over. Lane had also. That was also kind of the Lane situation too. I I think him and Lane's situations parallel each other. Now Lane became a coach at just a university. I think that most coaches would be like, I'm not going to be a head coach of Florida Atlantic. Where the D line coach is a little more understandable, like yeah, it'll be the D line coach from Miles Garrett and the Cle- Cleveland Browns. Yes, that's actually a sneaky kind of big job. Like that's something to keep an eye on. Because I've always is Tosh a good coach. I know he's a great recruiter. There's some pressure on Tosh the boy. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's that with the Niners. That'll be a story, I'm sure. But win, dudes. Jimmy G. This was the other thing that came out of the press conference. Was Kyle Shanahan said that Quan Alexander and Jimmy Garoppolo will not participate in the first preseason game. And they'll, he's not saying they're not going to play in the whole preseason, but the first preseason game they're not going to play. Jimmy G met the media today, said he's had his physical, he's been cleared for practice. You threw it out on Twitter, John. Will Jimmy G, should Jimmy G play in any preseason games? We've talked about this a little bit. I think there's a good case to be made both ways. I'm not hard line that he should. I think there's an argument that he should, just that I don't want him – the way I put it to you on the last pod was I don't want Jimmy jumping in the car, having to drive 100 week one. I'd like to him for just let him drive 60 miles an hour in the preseason for a few series. Like Tariq Cohen? Well, we'll get into that later. Yeah, I've got actually a couple questions about that. But, you know, you could make the case, hey, 
he he's played NFL games. We just we don't want him. We don't want anything happening to him. Let's just wait till the season starts, and uh, that's when he'll play. When we had the discussion on our last pod, yeah. it was a legitimate discussion because we had no clue what they were even thinking. There has been kind of this new age thought process with just their ri- rival would be strong because they're dominating them. But it's in theory, it should become their rival, the Rams, McVay, Kyle. McVay is extreme. No one plays that matters. Jared Goff will not see a preseason snap. Where you go, Kyle's kind of been the other way. Now, granted, they haven't lost players in training camp. But this is the first information where we go, clearly they're talking about it. Like, it's on the table now that Jimmy might not play. If you don't play the first preseason game, there's no lock you're going to play because you ain't playing the fourth. So you only got two more options. I would not do it. You know, if you, you might as well just go all in. I would just copy the Rams on this. I ain't playing Jimmy. I am not risking it. I'm not saying that your argument does not have 100% validity, especially with Jimmy. Like, let's say Andy went like, I ain't playing Tyreek Hill. I ain't playing Travis Kelsey. Like, yeah, no shit. Those guys are elite players. They got nothing to prove. Where Jimmy is in the world of like, this guy needs some reps. This guy let, needs to play. Let me ask you a question. Can you, like... Are there periods in practice this time of year in camp that are just as fast as preseason? Not like NFL NFL games, but preseason games. Like, can I simulate preseason speed in practice? I don't think so because your quarterback's wearing a red jersey and he can't get touched, yeah, I, so your your D lineman has to pull up. So I just my concern would be this is the question I'm asking myself: Do I put Jimmy Garoppolo at more risk of being injured by not putting him on the field until Week One when everyone else is going? 100 miles an hour, and he hasn't seen 60 yet. But think about this guy. I was thinking about the four injuries. Derek has two major injuries. A broken back, shattered ankle. Jimmy has a torn ACL and a shoulder that knocked him out of a couple games. Derek's both happened in the pocket. One freaky deal, right? Mathis fell on his ankle, shattered it. The broken back, kind of a busted pocket. Remember, he kind of climbed up. And I think Vaughn Miller or someone with the Broncos nailed him in the back. Jimmy's both happened running around on the outside of the tackles. The Kansas City one, I, just being an idiot trying to run the guy over. And the New England one, I think against the Dolphins, where he had he had scored three, thrown three touchdowns in the game. I mean, he looked like Joe Montana. It was incredible. But he was kind of scrambling, making a play, because that's kind of what he is. To me, Jimmy... To me, the preseason's about like timing with receivers. Like that's not really Jimmy's issue. His issue is more like, bro, live to fight another down, play under control. Like I, I don't know if his issue for the preseason is as big of a deal. Like I'm talking myself into more. Like I don't think it matters because his issues getting injured are like running around. Right. Which yeah, I just I I, I can be convinced. Uh, that he well, shouldn't play. You, what, I just, I just want to know that when he drops back, he knows how long it takes that defensive. Like he remembers exactly how long it takes that defensive end to get to him and when that ball needs to be out. And maybe practice does that for him. I think it does a little, but in that Bleacher Report article, John Lynch had a good quote: "Like it's time for Jimmy just to play. Like he just needs to play, and he means Sundays once Week One starts." To me, the preseason, do you agree that before we just didn't know? It was a guessing game. Like, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? We don't have no clue. Now we already know he's missing the first preseason game. 
If you were a betting man, wouldn't you put the over-under of him not playing in the preseason probably over 50%? I would. Now that he's not playing in the first one, yes, I would. Yeah, because you can talk yourself into it, especially if you have, like, all Well, I know he's not playing in the fourth game, right? Yeah, like, what if C.J. Brether breaks his ankle in the first one? You're like, fuck this. Yeah, that doesn't make you more, oh, we need a quarterback for a week, too. No, it means you go sign some random guy. Yeah, it means you're, well, it just means you're less likely to, like, you have one injury in the preseason game, Jimmy's out. Yeah, yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, because now now there's only two games he could play in now, right? I remember that when I first got to Philly, we were, like, having a meeting during the preseason, because you meet a lot as a staff, and Howie, I guess Andy, maybe it was Hank Fraley, who actually used to coach at San Jose State, like, was a starting center, was always, was the opposite. Andy loved playing his guys in the preseason. Like, old school coach, you know, he comes from the home grin, you just play guys. That's where they get their reps. Played a bunch of starters. His he believed playing like getting two one or two series in a preseason game four. He played starters in game four. Lost his starting center to a broken ankle in preseason game four, and he's been kind of the opposite ever since. Like really kind of lays off. Uh, to me, it's just you, Kyle is a little scarred to just injuries. Not necessarily the preseason, but just injuries. If you're scarred, I don't know if you mess with the preseason that way with. With your, you know, your cash cow. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I would just, that, and that's fine. I would just try to I, find I, a way. I think we all acknowledge it's a risk. It's a risk for sure. Yeah. I would just try to find you could, a way to get him. I don't know if there's some way to get him. Maybe can I get him some high-speed virtual reality goggles? Something. Because the argument is like, let's say this was the NBA or Major League Baseball. You're like, you got so much time to ease him in. In the NFL, if that means... Jimmy's really off week one, and you lose, and you end up going nine and seven, and ten and six would have got you in the playoffs. My God, you kind of look back, right? Yeah, Every game does matter. I would say, what if he's just off timing wise, and that gets him hurt week one? That's my other concern. Is he more likely to get hurt if he hasn't played in a game? Than well, to me, if he gets hurt again, guy, a major injury, he then is immediately an injury bust. Yeah. Yeah. So. I just think that you're holding on to your ass for him not getting hurt, and you're just, here's the, you're just yes, avoiding here's the, any pitfall. No, you are so right. Here's the bottom line. At some point, he's going to have to go into a football game. Yeah. That's what kind of sucks about having Jimmy as your quarterback, and I, I'd throw Wentz in this too. Every time he gets sacked, you're like, is he going to get up? Right. Like That's He's got to play mark. 16 games for us next year at this time to not be talking about this. But you've always brought this guy up. And you can shed that in Alex for three or four years early in his career. It's like, oh, this guy's a wuss. He's just got broken shoulders. He's always injured. Five years later, once like his last year with the Chiefs, did that ever come up? He was just he was just a quarterback. Right. So you can shake it. It's just going to take Jimmy time. some time. It takes time. And it takes like you got to get cr- – I want like do you get crushed and just pop up and keep going? Do you have some weird fall and you just pop up and keep going, right? Do you have one where your leg bends behind you, your shoulder, someone lands on your shoulder, and you just pop up and keep playing? Like, that's a part of it, too. It's not like you know what's funny? just we never see you get hit, and so that's why you're healthy. I, I, I get anxiety just thinking about players in practice, knowing just that feeling of being in Philly and just watching like, oh, my God, Shady's down. Oh, my, uh, Deshaun, what, what's going on with Deshaun? You know, just one player goes, and then they kind of get it up. That feeling is the most hopeless, and even Lynch talked about in the article. I think Mayock's going to realize this. 
again, I still get it just because I, I remember feeling I hated things that you can't control and just seeing a guy go down. Yeah. I, I still get it when I go to a practice and see like, oh my God, they're bringing out the cart. You're like, this is not good. You can just see like, look at the GM's face. <laughs> you but start feeling we're gonna it. We're going to have, when you say in the next week, there just always is a major, major injury in the NFL. Like there have already been a, the Giants had an ACL yesterday. Uh, Sterling Shepard, really, they're probably their best receiver, has a broken thumb. Like guys get hurt in practice immediately. It's just nature of the sport. I heard Steve Phillips on MLB Radio on Sirius uh, say that, um, like, as a GM, it was always so stressful that, like, every, like, even winning didn't feel good because as soon as the game was over that they had won, he'd be like, we're one day closer to maybe losing. Maybe we lose tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's just, it never ended. Uh, I thought that was a great. That that to me is what's crazy about really coaches and even G. Like I think GMs or just personnel people that are like me that clearly just eat the shit up. But once you get a taste of the media, you're like, God, this is just way less. Things are a little out of my control. I can control a lot more. That coaches. I was reading this article Dan Pape wrote on Chuck Pagano. Mm-hmm. And it was like his year off by about three months in. His wife is like, this isn't going to work. Like, I have my life. You're intruding on it. We need to get you some hobbies. So they, like, got him a job. Like, he got a job with the NFL. He started working with the – because even he was like, you can only ride the Peloton bike three times a day. Like, I'm losing my mind here. You know, I I missed being in the fray with my guys. Like, I I missed that. I'm like, that's the thing I missed the least. Right. Like, he misses that, like, that feeling of getting a stop or even getting beat. Like, you just – that drive. Like, they miss that. And that's why coaches – you were just around 12 of them. They're nuts. Like, they are nutty human beings. They're not like, even like most rich people. Because once you get a business, you do control more. Like, as a call, as a football coach, so much just out of your control. I mean, it's just a leg gets snapped. Uh, I don't know. It's just a crazy business that, that the guys love. That I that I love, the, I love the sport aspect of it, but I don't like all that, like, the highs and the lows. Right. Uh, all right, John, let's talk about some of the highs and the lows. There were some, I mean, the Odell Beckham high when the video of two really impressive, I mean, the over-the-shoulder sideline where his arms just shoot up at the last second, where he leaves a bunch of sideline, catch with crazy. That was the defining play I've seen so far in camp. The one where, he, where he is, like, to the right of the formation and scores the touchdown going up the middle, where he cuts – his cuts are all just steps. Like he takes three, he makes three cuts in three steps. And Denzel Ward is just like, it's not even, that was stupid. I mean, oh my God. What do you think about my analogy? I was watching YouTube yesterday and the first time Whitney Houston, I think ever sang on national television, she went on Letterman's show, 1985. She sang, uh, I'm carrying all my love for you. And Letterman was she. It was just an incredible performance. It's on YouTube, and he's shell shocked. Like he's like he can't let go of her hand. Like it, it was just. I mean, it was. It's. It's incredible. Her talent was just so immense. But once Whitney kind of got older, she kind of got defined by like drugs and bad relationships. But if you think about her career, she's as elite of a talent maybe that's ever like happened in singing. She was gorgeous. I mean, absolutely beautiful. She could dance. And you just gave her a microphone. She had the most stunning voice you've ever heard. But, like, her career kind of defined by all this other shit when it should have been, like, she should have been Beyonce times 10, you know? But for whatever reason, she got off the kind of reservation and it went the other way. 
Odell's career kind of feels like it's at a tipping point. At the end of the day, my friends in the league be like, he he's not quote unquote the best receiver because Julio and AB produce more, but he's the most talented. Like this guy should be an all time great. But it does feel like cocaine in the pizza, the boat, the all these articles, just weird shit. What I loved about yesterday was like, okay, we just get Odell the football player. Because out of all the bullshit, you know what at the end of the day he is when he cares and he tries and he's on a good team? He's uncoverable. <laughs> that shooting up your hands is like in a geeky, nerdy scouting. Like that's the, how do you defend that? Because he's running and you don't think they're throwing it to him. The last second he's like, boom, that's Randy Moss. When you put your hands up way early, what does the DB know? The ball's coming. When you do that, even if they're neck and neck with you, they just think you're running around. Like, that that catch guy is remarkable. He is a superstar talent. Now, he's not a superstar player right now in the sense that his production's been down, he's been injured, but he should be, like, I'm proud of myself for this. Like, he's, like he, he can go two ways because it feels like he can stay on this. Odell, always about all this bullshit, always, like, a little more hype than production, or he can be what he, I think he wants to be, like, this all-time great player. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I um... You know, the other category I put him in is like there are a lot of other great singers that aren't Whitney, right? Just natural. There are just some natural abilities that you just can't. And I was talking to my buddy uh, Evan Moore, who played in the league, and he was saying the thing like there are a lot of Stanford receivers, guy. huh? Stanford guy, Stanford guy. Yeah, there are a lot of receivers who aren't like natural pass catchers. As crazy as that sounds, like Odell is such a natural pass catcher. Because I was just asking him, like, what is it? Like, to my eye, I know what he did doesn't look right. Like, it looks crazy, and his hands come up fast. He said the thing that he thought was special about that play was that a lot of guys will widen towards the sideline a little too much because then it's just easier to catch it over your shoulder instead of over your head. But when you do that, when you widen towards the sideline, it becomes a harder throw because now the DB is in play. As opposed to when you leave more sideline and you're able to catch it, like when it's coming over your right, you know, when it comes from over your right shoulder, but you catch it over your head or over your left. He said that pass when the DB, when the receiver holds that line is indefensible because the corner cannot go through you if you're able to track it to the other side of your body like that. Guy, you're a moron. You should have just claimed that idea as your own. And be like, you know what I saw. And it just not wouldn't even more. be believable that I could have. I would have been like, film. Jesus Christ, am I hosting this podcast with Kyle Shanahan? I thought about <laughs> claiming it for myself, but I just thought if I listened to myself explain that, I'd go, he's full of shit. Well, think about this. Because I listen to a lot of people talk and I go, they're full of shit. The two most dominant pass catchers the Niners have had, Terrell Owens and Vernon Davis, were. Wouldn't you say the knock was they had? I mean, Vernon had bad hands. To's always led the league in drops, but what did they have? They were the physical freaks. Odell's not necessarily a physical freak size wise. Now he is movement wise, speed wise are beyond special. But then, like you said, I, I think I think Antonio really has this too. And like the my my, uh, my buddy that thinks Odell's the best wide receiver in the league, like literally should be, like he's the most talented. Says the difference between him and Antonio. He's like Antonio's a star. Odell, once he gets a little daylight, cannot be caught. Antonio, his knock is really top-end speed. Now, he's fast for, I mean, humans, but remember in that Raider game, they caught him on that right. when he broke that slant in overtime. 18th catch. Yeah, it was, it was 18 catches, I think, 290 yards, NFL record, most yards and catches in a game with no touchdowns. 
It's like it felt like he had seven touchdowns in this game, but but that's the like Odell gets he doesn't even need daylight. He can you just have a shitty angle on him and you're in front of him. See ya. That's like he's got Tyreek speed, and then like Evan was saying, he has. I mean, when you think like Randy Moss, that's what made Randy indefensible. He had the best ball skills and he had Ferrari speed, right? So that's like. I think when we talk about running backs, you can be a dominant running back and not be that fast. Le'Veon Bell, Frank Gore, you don't need home run hitting speed in the NFL at running back. You don't need it at wide receiver either. But when you have it and then you have all the other shit he has, like he should. One thing that's cool watching that and knowing that like Baker can be a really good quarterback is we could see some pretty unreal couple years of yeah. Odell. Now, Will he go Whitney and get in his own way in two or three years if they have some success? More than likely. But wouldn't you bet, like, we might see, like, a two-year run of Odell here where he just racks yeah. up, like, 225 catches and 20 touchdowns. Yeah, and it's going to come at a critical time in Baker's career. I think another guy that you'd put in the natural pass-catch category is Larry Fitzgerald. I first noticed the Kyler Murray camp hype start last night when I saw Dave Pash, you know, from ESPN, who's also the voice of the Cardinals. He tweeted, I promised I wouldn't overreact to anything at training camp this year. But it's going to be hard to keep that promise after watching Kyler Murray today. Wow. <laughs> and then, John, but then, like, the Cardinals tweet out a video of Kyler, and Larry Fitzgerald retweets it. And Larry's like, this guy was seven when I had my first camp. I've spent the first 16 years. I've spent those 16 years, like, living my dream. I can't wait to help him live his. Like, that Fitz would tweet. Like, I was like, okay, <laughs> Fitz is tweeting about him. Like, don't, don't, I don't know you, don't love the visor. No, I hate the quarterback visor, but I especially he's not outside. They they practice because it's five hundred degrees in Arizona. You notice they practice in the stadium. Is that where the highlights you saw? Yeah, when he was like yes. throwing touchdowns the in the stadium. On. Yeah, it's like come on, Kyler. I, uh, I'm with you. He does like he's he was an elite prospect randomly. He's got an elite arm guy, like arm power. Like he can just whoof, and he's accurate. Now, I saw Pash or whoever tweeted just the sweet-ass catch to Larry. The I don't know if this is the one you're like kind of behind the back and like Larry makes his crazy catch. Yeah, down the sideline. A lot, of, a lot of haters, and that's what Twitter is, were like, wait till a defensive lineman's in his face. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's fair, but the highlight did look pretty sweet. <laughs> I'm with you. I saw someone was tweeting out. I can't find it right now, but someone tweeted out like all his numbers. Like 11-11 on short throws? Well, I think there are two ways to look at it. You could look at it glass half full and be like, this guy's arm strength, accuracy, are, and just he's a freak, right? Like even when people are chasing him, what's going to happen when Solomon Thomas chases him? Well, he's faster than Solomon Thomas or D Ford or Nick Bosa. Like they're not going to catch him unless they're grab him. Or you go, what happens though when they do grab him? Because he is small. That's the one you see the video and you're like, this looks sweet. I'm not going to, I refuse to be a hater. I'm not the biggest Kyler Murray fan. More just, I think, his arrogance and his ego. I like the player. But there's a chance he's really good. There's also a chance that he just gets, when Aaron Donald body slams him. He is tiny guy. Do you notice, like, to you, does he look tiny on film? Yeah. Or just, like, on the videos? Mm-hmm. He looks really small. Now he looks really fun. He looks really fun. I'm, gl- I'm just glad we don't have to debate, like, should he get drafted? He just, I, he's just on a team now, so we're just going to watch him. Well do, well, do you know what's cool about, like, even him and Odell... How many times within like the month of September, like, bro, 
did you just see what Kyler just did when he jukes out like seven right. people and runs at 80 yards? Or, oh my God, did you see that catch from Odell Beckham? Like that's, they're going to have like the double alley-oops from Dwayne Wade and LeBron James with the Miami Heat. There are a lot of possibilities with a lot of fun players in the NFL that on a given day, the Red Zone channel could just be like football porn of just offensive fun. Which I think defensive guys are tired of, but that's, I don't see how that's not even going to be amplified this year, right? Yeah. Just Odell's on a good team. You got new quarterbacks. Some of the younger quarterbacks all around the league should be better. What'd you think? Jalen Ramsey versus uh, Tariq Cohen. By the way, how do you say the name of the place where Brown's camp is? Bonabus? Borbos? Berea? The Bears? Berea? No, I thought the Browns were. Oh, where the, did I say Browns? I meant Bears. I, I don't know. It looks They're French. At some small college. It's like B O U B B U I N I S. I thought it was we'll the name of Tari- the three wheeler. <laughs> like, what we'll the hell is he Tariq. doing, John? <laughs> to me, it's one thing to stroll up in that car. No big deal. Like, people would have laughed. But clearly, he saw a couple cameras. He tried to go ultimate dude, like, show off. And he took it a little too extreme, peeling out, and then he almost hit a biker. Like, is there any doubt in your mind that he got yelled at for that? There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it just was kind of a bad look. My, almost took out a biker. You know, my question, you know how people like, for like a wedding, like a daughter, father, first dance, or like the, the, the couple that's getting married will like plan a dance and they'll like practice all before the, like, and then they break out like some crazy choreographed dance. Like yeah. my question when I saw that was was Tariq just like practicing Tokyo Drift for three months so that he could break it out when he shows up to camp, or does he just do that? You know what I'm saying? Like what? And first of all, that car, like the little three wheeler, like your head well, is I think exposed. That, well, to me, I think that car is like a hundred thousand dollars because someone's like this guy just spent a fifth of a salary on that thing. You know, and that's before after taxes guy gets yeah, involved. Actually, how much did he make it? What round pick was he? He was fourth, so he makes like six hundred grand. Maybe it's a rental. Maybe I, I just that was it was funny, and then it turned into like, oh, he's in trouble. It was just so that's, stupid. That's it was so dumb. It was dumb. It, it was. I saw the Chiefs. I think brought like an armored car, not a, not like Jalen Ramsey, but like a. Almost like a military vehicle. Just the three specialists showed up in it: the punter, the kicker, and the long snapper. Like that's funny. Even you know, shit like Ramsey, that. Like, like it was. I'm looking at it. It was. It has. Like, it's an Adidas thing. Like it's got Adidas logos on it. Oh, that's what it was. But yeah, it says like Boost on the side. He's an Adidas guy, so it's like it's so, like he didn't decide. Like obviously, some maybe he wanted to do it and they helped him. But oh god, I mean, I think 100 percent it might have been his idea. They just helped facilitate it. If you, my big issue with Jalen Ramsey guy, even separate to, I'm so, I can't take the get the bag culture. It's driving me up a wall. But Jalen, when you're a great player as you are, you it's inevitable you're going to get paid. Whether the Jaguars pay you or you force your way to a trade, like you're getting paid no matter what. And I'm not even factoring in you've already been paid. They paid you twenty four million dollars when you were drafted. You notice that if you had sucked, you didn't have to give that money back. No one ever brings that up, guy. Do you notice that no first-rounders that are bust ever go, you know what I should do? I should give my team back $7 million of the $20 million they gave me. I, I wasn't that good. That never happened. But Jalen. Get the refund like have, bag. Have a little sense of, like, 
If your general manager was kind of cool guy, maybe he'd laugh. Your general manager's Tom Coughlin. Like, the last guy, you could argue like him and Lombardi. <laughs> if you had to rank people throughout NFL history that would hate this the most. Parcells. I, I, Tom, yeah, but I mean, couldn't you make an argument that Tom would be the first? Yeah, you could. He would have a legitimate argument to be number one on the list. He is, he not signing the checks, but he's in charge of who gets paid. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't someone in his camp be like, listen, they kind of want to pay you, but just kind of come in low key. He might like this. I don't know. Like I thought it was moronic, just given who their general manager is. I don't even think he's a GM. He's higher than that. He's like, he's gonna hate it. And he had the hype guy being like, pay the man, whatever he was saying. Like this is so stupid. It'd be one like Antonio Brown. He may or may not have showed up in a hot air balloon. He has before showed up in a helicopter. And remember last year, he showed up in that like the uh, the drop top Rolls Royce from like the 20s. And he was being driven in the back. Remember when he was like, do you remember that clip where he's like driving up on the old, old Rolls Royce? Yeah. And I think he's wearing like an old school suit. That's kind of funny. And that's on brand for him. The Ramsey's deal feels a little more like anger-fueled. Fucking baby! Jesus, Jalen. Relax, buddy. I don't know. I I, 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 I can't take it. Uh, how, about, how about uh, John? Uh, Jerry Jones said today, Friday, that Zeke is late. He's officially not here. I, I, I can't get on board with that. I, I, I don't think that's the proper tactic to take here. Because I, I think, are they really going to run him into the ground? I, I, I don't know, man. I always question this. Is it Zeke's idea? Like, I'm getting screwed. Because if he believes that, that's okay for him to believe. If he's being, infl- and I would dis- disagree with him, but if that's your belief, you got to stand up for what you believe on, believe in. Aaron Tippin, you got to stand for something. Or you fall for anything. There can't be one person in his life being like Zeke. But you just met Raj like two weeks ago. You got suspended two years ago for six games. You were in trouble coming out of the draft. Like, let's just, let's handle this a little differently, you know? Yeah. I I don't know if this is the right tactic. Has anyone said that to him, or is his camp like, screw these guys, they're going to screw you, Zeke. They're trying to screw you. Which I'd probably lean, that's the message that he's getting from most of his boys. And at the end of the day, you know what, I most of, the media that's very pro players, they're very friendly with the agents. Do you know the number one thing an agent cares about is a higher signing, a higher contract because it's more money for them. That's their number one goal. They don't care about winning, losing. They don't truly care how many games a team wins. They care about their player plays well so he can get paid. That's all they care about. That's that, at least from the priority list. That is their number one priority. Jerry's priorities are unique because he wants his team to win, but he also wants like he looks smart because he drafted Zeke. All all we've talked about this over and over. He wants Zeke to be a star. And he'll happily Zeke cut him, him in check. the face like this? Yeah. Happily. Anything else from I, anything else around the NFL? Do you agree though? I, I don't think Zeke's gonna get like that much sympathy from just the casual person on like Twitter. No. Like people are like Michael Thomas should yeah, he should get paid. You know, Dak probably should get some paid. Even Melvin Gordon, not that much sympathy. We get where he's coming from, but we understand the charge is not paying him. I think we all acknowledge, here's what makes it tricky for the Cowboys. Because if I was Zeke's agent, I'd be like, well, 
They do kind of need you. You are, see the best player on the team? Like, this is a playoff team, and this is the best player. Now, most replaceable player? Yeah. But he's pretty freaking good. Do you know how many balls Zeke caught last year? How many? What would you guess? Uh, 55? 60? 77. Wow. So it's like, yeah, I'm, a, I, I'm the one guy in this league, maybe me and Le'Veon. I'm a bell cow. If you need me, we can go 18 hundo. You know what I also could do? Play like Christian McCaffrey. You know what I can do even better than Christian McCaffrey? Send a blitzer Dak. Watch me hit him in his chin. I, so that's that's what does make this complicated. Like I'm not totally anti Zeke because I look he's a elite player, elite. Think about Saquon. Everyone's like he's the greatest pass. Saquon had 91, so Zeke had 77, and their offense was shitty for, until Amari showed up. You, uh, Saquon would probably tell you ours sucked too. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were actually talking about Saquon's offense. Um, any, anything else? NFL wise? No, I think. I think that covers okay. it. I'm sure we'll do some more. Do you want to talk about 9 a.m. kickoffs or are you hungry? Yeah, I'll give you five minutes okay, on it really quick. Real quick. Uh, there was a conversation that's been going on about whether or not the Pac-12 should, whether it's a good idea to entertain having a few 9 a.m. kickoffs to for a few reasons. You and I were texting about it the other day. I got in a big shouting match with Mark Packer about this on um, ESPNU Radio on Thursday because he thinks it's the dumbest idea ever. And I said, yeah, look, there's, I, I think it's worth exploring. Um, what do you think, John, just before we even get into any details of how it could work? R- really quick questions? before I give my opinion, because this is part of the argument, are they thinking about doing one a week? Like from what you've heard, so, besides just the general, so, it's, been, yeah, it's I mean, been... So Larry Scott was asked about it. He's the commissioner of the Pac-12. And he said, I, I'd be open to do, one, see, do a few this, week, this year, like one or two this year, and see how it happens. How it works doesn't mean that's going to happen. How would they but, be able to do it in 2019? Well, not every ga- you know, only the first like a month of game times are set at this point. Um, but I'd be. Sh- oh, you're saying like he'd give FS1 a 9 a.m. Pac-12 game? Uh, what do you mean? Is that like he'd be like I'd be open to give our partners? Yeah, a 9 so I don't. Game? I don't know if he really means he'd be open. Like he would Fox the big Fox show. This year is going to be every Fox college football game this year, like the Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, is going to be on at noon Eastern. Every single one. It's going to be 9 a.m. Pacific games. Which, is that the one where Urban and Reggie Bush and Liner are going to travel to? That Their show is going to lead right into that game. Because they're, they're they trying traveling? to do like a college game day. They're traveling? They're not in studio? I think they're going to travel to some. I, I read that. Oh, okay. So they're the big show, and that their show is going to lead right into a game every week. So... That means that Gus will never do a Pac-12 game. See, this is the information I need. So, uh, how like would they really be able to put it off this year? I don't know. But the answer, like, if you really went all in on it, John Wilner of the Mercury News, like last month or month and a half ago, floated it, and he had a whole breakdown of how he thought it would work. And he said basically, what you would do is you'd play as a league, not each team, as a league, you'd play four 9 a.m. games a year. So each team would host one every three years. So it would not be like a common thing. Um, and the, the benefits to it would be, A, obviously you have a game on in a window where there aren't really any games, um, particularly good games, right? The 9 a.m. Pacific, you don't, there's nothing on then. Um, you get the noon Eastern games, but you, know, you really don't get much. And I think another benefit would be, I think, 
obviously there are a lot of people, there are fans of the Pac-12 that hate the 7.45 p.m. games. Hands raised. Yeah. But there are some, like Arizona, they can't, Arizona State can't play a day game in September. They, they like, Too by hot. rule, they cannot do it. Um, so, that, there's a reason those games occur. And they're great. Like, ultimately, like those of us use at home, late Saturday, all the other games are done. You get a few, you know, the Pac-12 after dark games. I think people feel like they the Pac-12 misses the news cycle a lot. So, like, Gardner Minshew comes out, throws seven touchdowns in a game. Well, if that game ha- happens at it's 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night, Pacific, well, the next day is Sunday is NFL. No one sees it. As opposed to if that game happens first thing in the morning, ESPN's playing. Like, that's getting played halftime shows throughout the day. Because what are we talking about first thing Sunday morning? Is Odell Beckham in or out of the right. game? Is he injured? So, you know? if you have a big game at 9 a.m., Justin Herbert throws five touchdowns. Like, these are, I'm paying you the best case. Right, I'm making the argument for. But but this is, you, you guy, I'm in. I, because I'm in for twofold. I'm only in, like, if this is on Fox and you're getting Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, it's a no-brainer. You adapt to do it. Now, the the downfalls or the red flags are, to me, clear. One, if it's just one a year for the players, I, I it's not as crazy as I thought it would be on the players. My biggest question, then, is the optics of, are these places pretty empty? Because right. that's asking a lot yeah. entertainment value to get wherever you're playing – 50 plus at nine. I mean, Stanford sure, in this fair. biggest games, you, like you could never do one of those games at Stanford. I, I would say Oregon and like, you know, and some of the Washington UCLA schools would and maybe also be Utah. Difficult optically, right? But like, let's. Yeah. So what if the Stanford game was Stanford Washington? At, at Washington? Yeah, no, no. I'm saying like, what if it was at Stanford, but it wasn't. To me, like, you can't do UC Davis. Like, you can't do that for anybody. But what if it's a big game? Like, what if it's Oregon at Stanford that ends up at 9 a.m. on Fox? Well, well, Maybe well, Stanford already, would get it some attendance for that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you got to get stuff like that. The big games, put it. It's got to be on Fox, and you get the number one or AB, crew. ABC, ESPN, whatever. Yeah, if it's if it's on the main channels of like the what we truly kind of consume at 9 a.m. Because you're right, it's it's more even about. You're right. The news cycle is huge because. I think a lot of people come in and out of most games throughout the day and even into the night. Because I remember when I was in Philly, like on Saturday night, we'd go out and we'd be drinking at a bar and it'd be like UCLA would be playing USC. Or, you know, Oregon, the games are still on. That's what's cool about being on the East Coast. Like Younger people that consume sports, if you're up on a Saturday night, which would be the one night of the week, you or Friday, you'd probably stay up a little later. You do consume some of it. But if you have sweet shit happening late at night, no one's people college football the main topics unless you live in like the south get discussed on saturday right because sunday is it's for two things jesus and the nfl and the the nfl's topics consume you on sunday right yeah they just do i think a couple other factors i i I was texting with a buddy of ours i'm in i'm in in the pac 12 um and i said what could this work for you Right, like just from a scheduling standpoint, he said, "Yeah, it's like playing an 11 a.m. Central. You do a 5 a.m. wake up, 5:30 walk through, 6 o'clock breakfast, 6:30 bus." Um, like one of Mark Packer's points was like, "How can you get there?" And I said, "Let's not act like 9 a.m. is 4 a.m." And he said, "Well, you got to wake up at four. And like, there's a couple schools, right? Washington State, where a lot of fans come from, Spokane, the Oregon's, where fans come from, Portland. That's a couple hours away." My thing was, look, yes, it's you're not saying a, like the you're saying like the base of their fan base. Yeah, you just get a lot of your fans from there. 
my thing is, look, you do it once every three years. It's, it's an oddity enough that maybe people do it. They feel good that they still have the rest of their day. If you play a 745 game at Oregon, you get home at 1 a.m. if you live in Portland, 2 a.m. maybe. You wake. You got to sleep till ten to get eight hours. So if you got to wake up at five thirty or six, just go to bed at nine. You're still going to get your eight hours. Like either way, you've got one night is just gone. If whether it's super early or super late, um, and you know my other concern to argue against it would be, I, Americans love being flexible, especially on the West Coast. Well, I mean it's like nine a.m. Let's not. People are at work every day would at eight, you, and they don't want to. Okay, be there. would you go to the game, guy? Would I go to the what game? The 9 a.m. game, if you weren't working it? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I do I go to the noon game? I don't go to a lot of games. But if you're telling me it's a sweet game, it's yeah, I'd consider going to it. I mean, I I do a lot of stuff before. I, I'm a, you know, like, stuff happens before 9 a.m. on a regular basis in America. Yeah. So, like, that's my point. It's like, not act like, like people never get up early for a flight. Like, people pay five. How much did it cost? How much is a round at Band and Dunes? Like, they do have a 6.30 tea time, don't they? Somebody's playing it. Well, we teed off at seven forty-five, okay, and you pet you like. I'm just saying, once paid, every three paid four hundred dollars. Now, here would be my concern: a the the, uh, the just for the players, can the players get it done? B, I would be concerned. Like, I think it'd be sweet to play a non-conference game like that, right? I think it'd be sweet to play whatever. Like Oklahoma State plays Oregon State this year. Like, let's say Oregon State was good, or or Oklahoma at UCLA. But do you put your program at a disadvantage? Right? Are you putting yourself at a disadvantage? Are you putting Washington and Oregon at a disadvantage if you put a big game on at 9 a.m.? Or are they both even playing field? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say Washington is 8 0 and they got to go play a 9 a.m. kickoff at Oregon. Do you hurt your league by playing? That would be an argument against for me that I wonder about. Like, how much do See, the players well, suffer? I, I, I know the guy that told you what he means by 11 a.m. kickoff. To me, that I would. Ar- I would argue that it's not; it doesn't parallel each other because when we were when I was at Fresno State, we played Wisconsin, 11 a.m. kickoff, right? The 9 a.m. window, so we were on ESPN. Right. It was you know the most a lot of people saw that game. A lot of people. That's why it was cool at that time to work at Fresno State. You got to play in a lot of games that a lot of people saw because we were anytime, any place, anywhere, right? right. We fucking play the games. But you go there a day early, so you kind of acclimate. You don't show up like 10 minutes before. You're not waking up at 5 a.m. You're waking up at 6.45 for 7 a.m. breakfast. It's like there is a difference to me in that. But doesn't like your it feel like, is at yeah. 7.30. I mean, I guess the other yeah, thing would but be the, like... But, but the time is actually 7.30, not 5.30. Right. I mean, I guess part of it would be, do you have... Like, what's your class? Can you practice in the morning all week? Because Wisconsin, for example, the Big Ten, I think they're a good example. Wisconsin, any of those programs that are in that window, Iowa State... They have been playing 11 a.m. window games and getting a ton of exposure for our entire the the life of cable. Right. Ca- if it wasn't for those explosion. games, would you ever watch Northwestern? But I watch them. You watch them three or four times a year, <laughs> in and out, right? Yeah. You watch a ton of. Don't you feel like just over your lifetime, you've seen a lot of Wisconsin oh. during the day I'm on Saturday? Like, oh, there's Iowa. I guess I'll watch them. But they so they they take advantage of that. And then they, they double down because then they get you a lot of primetime windows with their superstar programs. So Pac-12 kind of misses out. Like They're able to ride Washington or USC or Oregon when they're good in those primetime windows. But their argument, and as valid, is like you miss our second-tier programs that are doing some sweet shit. Right. Where when, when that's where it's like 
where you and I can discuss, like our listeners, that when we get ready for the NFL draft, like, I watched Akeem Butler ball at Iowa State four times. They just watch a lot of that player if you live on the West Coast because you wake up, flip on the television, there's Akeem Butler texting touchdown. By the way, I'll just add this, John, before we conclude here. You know who, in a year from now, scouts are going to love when they meet with him and talk to him? And it's going to be the stories like, you know, when you sit down with K.J. Costello, you're just blown away. They're going to – K.J. Costello. First of all, he put up – no one had a more explosive year. He The most explosive passing year at Stanford since Andrew Luck last year. Hopefully he doesn't have to do as much. They couldn't run the ball. What about the – they're going to uh, love him. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be a little negative, Nancy, on this. Maybe it's limited exposure. This is what you do in a scouting meeting. I I, I, I only watched a couple tapes. Okay. <laughs> I felt like when I watched them, I was underwhelmed. Now – He's getting some buzz. I'm not. I'm coming in open-minded on him, and, but I'd say that's the knock on most Stanford players. Like, God, we love the kid, but can the, can he play? But I'm with you. He's, well, I would say a, he comes. Never speak for themselves. He comes he's off really like a guy that is at Stanford, but isn't. But isn't like he could easily. Well, I could tell you he's the quarterback at SC, and you wouldn't. When you talk to him, you wouldn't think anything's weird about it. You know what I mean? He kind of. Like, he's got a little more just like cool dude, like to Jared, him. like Jared Goff or something. Yeah, but a little, but more outgoing. Uh, what about but also the, What about the wide receiver from Colorado, Lavisca Chanel? I I talked to him for a little bit the other day. Grew up a Dolphins fan. It turns out. What's he look like in person? I mean, just ridiculous. So Nick Aliotti, I was sitting at a table. Like guy, that guy might go in the top ten. I was sitting talking to him and one of their defensive players, just like at a table, not not an interview, just a casual thing. And Nick Aliotti comes up and it's just like, oh my god, starts talking to Lavisca Chanel. You know, he was. Like, he was at Oregon. They had NFL players everywhere. He just started grabbing his shoulders. He's like, oh, my God. LaVisca, I'm going to tell you something right now. You are more talented than anybody else. If you outwork everybody, too, there is no stopping you. Do you understand what I'm saying, young man? Like, you know how Nick talks. You don't understand what I'm saying, young man? If you outwork everybody, nobody will be able to stop you. Okay? You hear me? Like when you just see him walk into a room and I go, guy, that's a six pick in the NFL draft. Is that believable? Yeah. I mean, John, his shoulder. I mean, he's just. How tall is he? I love that guy. Yeah, I just great. Is he the best draft prospect beside the quarterback in the Pac-12? You know, they say uh, that in two years, the kid at. Uh... I-, I mean, draft eligible this oh, year. Okay, yeah. Because the, people think that Panay Sewell, the tackle at Oregon, could be like number one level discussion in two years. He's not eligible this no. year. But yeah, I does SC have any remarkable up and comers? I think like I mean guys that are this year. Yeah. Chip, no. Uh St- who's Stanford have? Well, Stanford's got an offensive lineman, Walker Little. They've got Paulson Adebo. Paulson Adebo they think is gonna be like a top twenty, top fifteen corner. Who'd Washington bring? Their center and uh, one of their DBs. What was DJ doing there? Just kind of hanging? Uh, I think they were recording interviews for their oh, like podcast. Coaches. Was Bucky there? Bucky was there. You see Sanchez? I did see Sanchez. <laughs> well, was Sa- Sanchez walk around like he's the coolest dude? Just, I- I've heard actually Sanchez, but, everyone loves him. Yeah, like, he's like, just a great he's guy. He's the coolest dude like a cool way. You know who I saw getting off an elevator is uh, Dustin from Stranger Things. Have you seen that show? Uh... I watched the first episode. It just brought up a question season. like, how do you act around a star when the star is eight years old? Like, what do you say to that person? Why was he getting off the elevator? Well, I don't know. He just must have been doing something. I don't know what he was. 
Oh, because like at the hotel, yeah, you yeah, might just be like in a, a business at a hotel. meeting. Like with his mom separate. wearing a backpack. Like, do you say anything to an eight-year-old star? Well, if you would ask for an autograph, let's just say hypothetically, yeah. you're just Guy Haberman, insurance salesman, huge fan of the show. You are doing him a disservice, probably helping to ruin his life. Think about that. Exactly. Like so I didn't even head. say anything. Because yeah. to me, it'd be weird to be like, Dusty! Like, that's weird. First of all, it's weird to anybody, but it's especially weird to a child. Well, I think when you look at the child, you go, keep grinding, young fella. Say, say something motivational. Like, you have not reached the peak. You got a long way to go. But then you're kind of a dick. I, I, yeah, I just think you say nothing. Because you you're right. Like, you see, like, you run into, like, Leo. You could be like, hey, Leo. Yeah, love your work, you dude. Something. Love your work, bro. Yeah, you, you can't say that to a little kid. Because you are aiding and embedding more than likely him to fail in life by getting well, too big of a I felt bad just recognizing him and kind of look at, just, you know, you just kind of do a dump. Like, is that who I think it is? And then all it takes is a split second. Someone realizes that's what you, that you that you recognized him, right? And I'm like, Fuck. I would have assumed you to hate Stranger Things. I would have too until I watched three episodes and I was like, I'm in. So have you watched the whole show? Oh, yeah, watched three seasons in, in like a two and a half week span. Uh, so the third season's not bad? No, third season's good. It's one of Netflix defining shows. The thing right is, now. people say that season three is better than season two, which I agree with. So you got to get yes. through two. Season one was good. I started watching season two. I didn't like it. Season one, you just, you can't, to me, it's hard to top first seasons of things, right? Where it's like, yeah, when what's going to so be? You sweet. just make the show you want to make. I know. You know, one like thing, detective, not to get on like a Netflix tangent, that kind of hurts Netflix, huh. is their defining show. I mean, their defining show that kind of put them on the fucking map. I can't even think of the show's name, but I mean, Kevin Spacey, what was that show called? Oh, House of Cards. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was like, you got to get Netflix to watch House of Cards. And I did. Yeah. And now they've had other shows since, but they've had to pretend that show doesn't exist. Like, if you run into House of Cards on like the Netflix scanner, it'll just be a picture of Claire and like a couple other people. Right. He does not exist anymore. So it's like, this thing is kind of like, that's that hurts. You, because you can always, when you have like a Sopranos or a De- like you kind of ride that forever. Right. And they're just, they got to pretend that it just doesn't exist, yep. which sucks for them because it was, it doesn't, I mean, it brought a lot of people, but you would just kind of, you would just keep that as people just rewatch it, right? Like it's, it was, a, it was a fantastic show. I mean, he was, he was elite in that show. It just turns out he's a bad human. Yeah. We talk about him as one of the great TV characters, if we count that as TV, which I do of all time. 100%. It was as powerful the first couple seasons as I've ever seen on television. Well, it was an incredible I loved performance. It. Yeah, he dominated. She, and then so did she. They all dominated. Yeah. Like, all the characters. The one bald-head guy is right-hand guy. Yeah. Who's the uh, the dude that played basketball at St. Mary's that got an Oscar for the movie where he's driving around with the white dude. He's the jazz piano player. Oh, yeah. Ali something. Yeah. Like that oh, guy, right. Remy, hit, that. Yeah. Remy's character in there is awesome. Yeah. Just the music, it's just it's just an awesome fucking show. Yeah. All right, but I can't, I can't even like it anymore. I guess. Kind of <laughs> Luckily, sucks. you finished it. Yes. Now you wouldn't even watch. You'd be like, oh, I can't even get into it. Well, I'd probably start it and like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But yeah, you couldn't tell anybody how much you liked it though. Yeah, I'd have to keep quiet. You couldn't tweet you about tweet, it. Like, Spacey's incredible <laughs> in season one. Not acceptable. Yeah. Well, it was one of those I did it with The Sopranos. Have you ever watched Sopranos? No, I, it's the greatest show I've never watched. Yeah, go back and watch it. It's pretty. I mean, he's just so good. But you can, idea. but you can tweet it out or The Wire, 
and your Twitter account would be like, oh my God, right. you just people up. Yep. But Timeless. yeah, it wouldn't be like that with space. Timeless. Okay, adios. Later. Time to eat. See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.